Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. I invite you to pray with me as we stand. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to look at your word, to learn valuable things that you want to teach us. Please put from our minds things that might hinder us. By your power, by your spirit, give us understanding. In Jesus' name and for his glory we pray. Amen. Amen. You may well find it uh, useful to turn to the the reading that was uh, read by Janet a little earlier. It's on the uh, the buff-coloured sheets or open the Bible to that uh, reading. Thank you uh, for the welcome. It's good to to be here among you. I wonder if I can get you to to think about something. Uh, Do you have a a tick list of things you want to do in your lifetime? Or even if you're thinking about things that are in your mind, thinking, I'd love to do that, where do you get your ideas from? I fairly recently, right next to the the Baptist church where I'm a minister, there is a gift shop in Tring and I popped in and I picked up this pack of cards. Um, I I picked them up and I went and paid for them before I I took them out of the shop. But it says 500 things you must do in a lifetime. 500 things you must do in a lifetime. And I was really quite uh, encouraged when I opened them up. Uh, The first five of the 500, milk a cow, Go up in a hot air balloon, smash plates in a Greek restaurant, see the ruins at Chichen Itza, Mexico, swim with dolphins. Well, I was quite excited because I'd done one and a half of those. I've been up in a hot air balloon, and the half, well, I didn't quite swim with dolphins, uh, but I did stroke, stroke one once, and I thought, well, that's near enough. The problem was, as I went through the 500, I became quite deflated. 
because there were so few things that I'd actually done. Uh, I've never ordered a martini shaken, not stirred. (laughs) I've never done or even attempted to do the splits, and I'm not going to try. I've not been to visit the Great Wall of China. But is that what life is all about, doing a great list of things, or even just some of those things that you might have on your tick list? Do we really need to do any of those in a lifetime? And the packet, in fact, on the, on the back says, this is the ultimate list of 500 things that just have to be done at least once. Life is not a rehearsal. Well, the unknown compiler of that, do I take notice of him or her? How do I decide what's important to do in a lifetime? Or to put it a slightly different way, how do I decide what's important for me to do before I die? And to help to consider this a little bit further, I want to look at that passage that was read to us a little earlier from Luke chapter 23. It tells us about two men who were crucified on the first Good Friday, either side of Jesus Christ. It tells us also about the choices that they made while they were still living. See, as we look at Luke chapter 23, I hope we see that this relates to every single one of us here today. Now, it might not immediately seem how it's relevant to us, so let me try and explain. First of all, we know from verses 32 and 33 that these men were at the very end of their lifetime. Let me just read from verse 32. The two other men, both criminals, were also led out with Jesus to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And the importance of what these two men did becomes very clear by the end of that little section in verse 43. One of those criminals did something that he would never, ever regret. And Jesus promised him something absolutely amazing after death. He was assured of being with Jesus in paradise. We'll think more about that in a moment. But the other criminal, well, he acted, he responded very differently And he didn't get that phenomenal promise. As I said, these men knew that they were at the end of their lives. They, in fact, had time to prepare. They had time to choose what they were going to do. But their responses to Jesus were very, very different. One, I would suggest, did something that was amazingly wise. The other, well, he acted very, very differently. So what did the wise one do? Now, that leads us to the three things to do in our lifetime when we reflect on what he did. And the first one is ignore what other people say about Jesus. You may have noticed as the reading was read to us, as Jesus was crucified, there was all sorts of reactions, responses to those who were around. In verse 34, we had those who just ignored Jesus as irrelevant. The soldiers casting lots to see if they could get Jesus' clothing. They're so busy just getting on with their life, they don't bother about Jesus. And that's true today, isn't it? How many thousands of people will be around Forward, around Sheffield, who would never even think of Jesus Christ today? Verses 35 to 37, we get those who mock, those who sneer. In this case here, it's the rulers, the soldiers. They're making fun of Jesus on the cross, uh, making fun of his death. That happens today. Um, Over Easter, there was the uh, comedian Stuart Lee, writing in his column in The Guardian. And he went through the Easter story, but just as a vehicle for fun, for mocking. And each time he was speaking of Jesus, it was just to make fun of him, to get a cheap laugh. 
not just columns in the newspaper. We see it all the time. And verse 39, one of the two criminals hurled insults at Jesus. He's gone beyond jokes, beyond mockery, a personal attack on Jesus. And we'll see all of those things in our experience today. People who just can't be bothered because they've got busy lives, work or whatever. People who mock Jesus, who don't think he's worth thinking about. Those who go beyond that, who make personal insults on Jesus, just want to put him down. That's what one of the criminals did. But the other criminal, he decided just to ignore what everybody else was doing. And the first thing for us to realise is to know the great future that Jesus promises, we'll need to very often ignore what other people say. Maybe ignore the media, sometimes ignoring even friends and relatives. It's not hard to find those who would suggest even the very fact that you've come today is a waste of time. People who might say there are dozens of other things that you could do instead of follow Jesus. But as we look further at what Jesus says, be assured that ignoring what others say and listening to Jesus is the wisest that anyone can do. First thing to do in a lifetime, ignore what other people say. The second thing, acknowledge our position before God. At the Daily Telegraph on Monday, there was an article about how to deal with young children on long-haul flights. Uh, some of the, quest- uh, the ideas of what you could do with them were, were slightly questionable and dubious. Uh, there was all sorts of bribery, which uh, I'm sure anybody with young children has got involved with. Uh, but also, one of them was depriving your children of all forms of technology for at least a week beforehand so that access to an iPad on the plane will keep them quiet for hours. The second uh, from last suggestion was this. Curry favour with the fellow passengers upon boarding. Butter up all those around you. Doll out small gifts which carry a small sign saying, I am sorry for what is about to happen. (laughs) The article was quite negative and it said that everything you do is likely to fail that on a long-haul flight, the children will be fractious, noisy, and uncontrollable. And so it suggested taking a pillow and a belt. I quote, If all else fails, and it probably will, simply pretend it's not happening, like a fellow parent did sitting in front of us on a 20-hour flight to Thailand. He whipped off his trouser belt and used it to fasten the pillow tightly round the side of his head, over his ears, to block out the sound of his kids. That's the advice. Simply pretend it's not happening to you. And I can believe parents doing that. And it might be a possibility on a long-haul flight. But when issues are much more serious, it's quite sad when people, maybe don't do it literally, but try to block out the reality of what's happening, pretending it's not happening. I've spoken to people who are approaching death And they too sometimes have pretended that it's not happening. Those I know who have been told by medics there's nothing else that can be done by medicine that they need to prepare for the end and they shut it out of their minds and pretend it's not happening. But it's younger people as well. uh, Teenagers that I know that would maybe pick up a pack of cards like this and look through and say things like I'd love to swim with dolphins before I die. They'll come up with a phrase like that but They've refused to face up to the inevitability of death. In fact, they are covering up their ears to the fact that one day 
they will pass away. They think if they put it out of their minds and don't listen to it, that death will somehow go away. And it's very noticeable here in this account in Luke's Gospel that in fact that's what one of the criminals does. But the other one acknowledged his position before God. Let me just read verse 39. We have the contrast. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, Jesus. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. Verse 40. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Yeah, this second criminal realized that he was approaching the end of his life. His life on earth was slipping away. Eternity was looming very large on the horizon. Soon he was going to come face to face with his maker. And he acknowledged that he was not prepared. He recognized this, that he was, verse 41, being punished justly. That he was getting what his deeds deserved. He began to admit responsibility for his actions, maybe for the very first time. I talked at the beginning about a situation that relates to every one of us. And you might say, well, I'm not likely to be crucified. Very true. You might even say, well, I'm not a criminal. Well, it's noticeable. If we were to read through the whole of Luke's gospel, in chapter 10 of Luke, uh, there is a man who comes to Jesus, interested in, in one sense, doing the things in his lifetime he needs to do. And he's speaking about the things of eternal life. And he definitely thought that he was not a criminal because he was a a very religious man. And Jesus got him to consider his position by God by asking him, what does the law, in other words, God's Old Testament law, require? And this man, being very religious, answered correctly. Luke 10, verse 27, he quoted the Old Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. But then this man wanted loopholes to get out of doing that. Do we see how this relates to us? Let's ask ourselves first of all, do we know what God expects of people? What he expects of us? Well, we all know something and we certainly have access to find out. But can we say we've done this? Have we loved God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, all the time, every moment? Have we loved others fully, gone out of our way to always do what is good and right for other people on every occasion? See, to truly acknowledge our position before God is to admit that we have broken God's law, that we've gone against what God says, we've gone against him. So therefore we're lawbreakers, we're criminals before God. I wonder if we've ever acknowledged this. Or even when we hear something like this, would we prefer to... Just wrap a pillow around our ears and a belt just to block out the sound a little bit. Acknowledging our position before God is a very important thing to do in our lifetime. And it's what one of the criminals did. A vital step in receiving what Jesus offers. Essential to do before we die. And genuine followers of Jesus Christ will have done this at some point. Acknowledge that we need forgiveness from God. I wonder, can you think... Have I ever admitted that I'm guilty before God? Have I ever said to myself, I need to ask, to ask him to forgive me? Do we see the importance of this? See, it's so much more important than 
absolutely anything on a pack of cards like this, so much more important than going up on a hot air balloon or seeing the Great Wall of China or anything else. We need to acknowledge our position before God. And the third, the final thing to do in our lifetime, we need to realise our need of Jesus. That's what the wise criminal does. He realises his need of Jesus. He realised at this point in his lifetime two things about Jesus. He realised that Jesus was utterly innocent. Halfway through verse 41, he said of Jesus, this man had done nothing wrong. He realised that Jesus was utterly innocent. And therefore he was dying for something other than any wrong that he'd done. So he must have been dying for another purpose. Not only did he realise that Jesus was utterly innocent in every sense, but he also realised that Jesus is a king with a kingdom. He said in verse 42, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. See, the criminal didn't know very much. Didn't know very much about Jesus, but he knew enough. You might have come this morning, and maybe the only thing you knew about the Christian faith and Jesus Christ is what you know since you've come into the church service, heard the hymns, the prayers, the reading. But all anybody needs to know is that they themselves are not innocent, that Jesus was utterly and completely innocent, and that he, that he died to bring people into his kingdom. And so realising these things, and so realising our need of Jesus is the most essential thing to do in our lifetime, before we die. And to this man who did these things, who realised these things, comes this great promise from Jesus in verse 43. Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. It's striking, isn't it, how Jesus describes his eternal kingdom, verse 43, paradise, the perfect place, Of course, it's a perfect place because it's with Jesus, the place where we can really live. You could well be somebody who really enjoys life. There's nothing wrong with that. And if you really enjoy life, this is where you'll want to be to enjoy life for all eternity. Now, Jesus doesn't go into all sorts of detail here. But rest assured, if Jesus is describing it as eternity, uh, his eternity as paradise, if Jesus died so that people could get into it, then he must realise how wonderful it is to want people to be there. It's better than anything that would be lit on any list of things to do in a lifetime. But it could be you're thinking, well, how can it be paradise if there's people like a criminal there? Because people like criminals would spoil it. In fact, if you're really acknowledging your own position before God, you might be thinking, how could it be paradise if I'm there? Well, in doubt as we are, we would spoil it. I, I had ambitions when I was younger to be uh, a great footballer. At 12, uh, during one February half term, when it was very wet and pretty much like weather as it was now, pretty muddy, not being a great outfield player, I decided that maybe goalkeeper was my position and I uh, went with some friends up to the local recreation ground and had an hour, an hour and a half with my tracksuit, diving around, being what I thought was a great goalkeeper and got absolutely covered from head to toe in mud. I remember thinking, my mum is going to be so pleased that I'm going to be a great goalkeeper. And I arrived at the the house, the side door, knocked on the door, and my mum looked at me and she said, you're not coming in like this. You're not coming in unless you take everything off because you'd spoil the house. You'd ruin everything. And so she made me take everything off that was muddy. And it soaked right through, so she made me take everything off 
everything before I went in the house. She gave me a towel, but that was it. I had to remove everything that was horrible and muddy. But much more seriously, if we've acknowledged our position before God, we will acknowledge that unchanged, we would spoil, that we would ruin paradise. And if we realize something of this, then we've begun to realize something of our need of Jesus. But the good news of the Christian message is that the innocent, totally pure Jesus died to bring those outside his kingdom into that perfect paradise. He died so that people could have forgiveness, so they could be changed, so that they could be cleansed, so that everything that would spoil paradise could be removed and sorted out and left behind so that we could come into Jesus' kingdom, into that wonderful place, and it could remain paradise and we could enjoy it as paradise. Now, maybe you have a list of things to do in your lifetime. Whatever's on your list, I hope you've seen what is most important. I wonder this morning if you've seen your need of Jesus, maybe for the first time. For all genuine Christians, be thankful that you have made the best decision in your life seeing that you need Jesus and turning to him. Decide that you've made the best decision, even if those around you would say that you're wasting your time. But if you're not yet a true follower of Jesus Christ, I wonder if today you would do what that criminal did. Don't worry if you don't understand everything. As I said before, the criminal didn't understand everything. He only knew a little. But have we realized our need of Jesus? The reaction of the other criminal shows that not all people do. See, the other criminal, the one who hurled insults at Jesus, there was no promise of paradise for him, just the dreadful prospect of being away from Jesus for all eternity. Yes, he chose to hurl insults at Jesus. You might be thinking, I would never do that. After all, I'm in a church service. But as we look at him, there is another response that is very foolish and very dangerous. It could be that you're thinking, well, I see that these things are important to do before I die, but I've got ages yet. I'll sort it out when I'm older. I'll just think about it another time. Sadly, week after week, as we look at the news, there are reminders that putting off responding to Jesus is very unwise. Just think about the news over the last 10 days. Those who were on Everest 10 days ago, those whose maybe list of things to do in their lifetime was to climb Everest or even just to get to base camp. And just in a few moments, that ambition wasn't important anymore. Or if you take notice of the sports pages, uh, you will have noticed that last Monday, the Belgian footballer who played international football football for the under-21s for Belgium, uh, Gregory Mertens, uh, collapsed on the football pitch whilst playing a professional game. For those who have that ambition, I want to play professional football. I want to play international football. 24-year-old Gregory Mertens very sadly lost his fight for life on Thursday. Putting it off is very dangerous because we never know when the end might come. We don't know how many more days we might have. I wonder today, will we recognise the key things we must do? Just ignore whatever other people might say about Jesus. Acknowledge our position before God and realise that we need to turn to Jesus, that he's the only way. Also, an attitude of putting off turning to Jesus shows that we don't understand who he is, that he is king, that what he offers now is far better than anything else 
that you can have in any other list of things to do in your lifetime. I wonder there might be one or two or more who would want to act like the wise criminal, who might want to leave this building knowing for certain that whatever happens, you have the certainty of paradise and eternity with Jesus. If so, today you could turn to Jesus. What I'd like to do is pray a prayer in a moment that you could echo, that you could pray before the God who knows everything, even the silent prayers of our hearts, and you could be certain of forgiveness. Let me just read what that prayer is going to be so you know. The prayer is, Lord Jesus, I acknowledge my position before God, that I have broken God's law. I thank you that you came and lived a perfect life and died in my place. Please save me for your heavenly paradise. With your help, may I live with you as king now and forever. And I'll say amen. Can I ask you maybe just to bow your head where you're sitting? And for any for whom that might be an appropriate prayer today, that you might uh, echo that just quietly, knowing that God will hear every word from your heart and mind. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge my position before God, that I have broken God's law. I thank you that you came and lived a perfect life and died in my place. Please save me for your heavenly paradise. With your help, may I live with you as my king now and forever. Amen. Amen. I could just uh, mention one more thing if you could just like to look up. If you've come with a Christian friend, they would love to know if you've prayed that prayer so that they can help you. Uh, if you've prayed that, can I uh, commend you the, the Christianity Explored course that Paul mentioned running on Tuesdays, uh, morning and evening? It'd be a great way to understand what it is more to follow Jesus Christ. If you're thinking, I'm not quite at that point of praying that prayer, but I know I need to get it sorted out really quickly, this would be a great thing to come along to. Uh, can I encourage you to come? Uh, if you've come with a Christian friend, ask them to bring you along uh, just to come and do that. That is a wonderful thing to do. There have been many people through the years who, like that wise criminal, have turned to Jesus and rejoiced in doing that. And we are going to close with a hymn, a hymn called Amazing Grace, which is the way that John Newton summed it up as he turned and knew all the benefits of coming to Jesus Christ. He writes a hymn that reflects something of that. So as we hear the introduction played, I invite you to stand and let's sing this together with thankful hearts for the wonderful good news of Jesus Christ.